You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Good morning. It is good to have you uh, tuning in with us this morning online. Um, With all that's going on today, uh, with all that's going on with the weather, we just thought it was safer for everyone to just stay home. And because we know that we can worship anywhere, we don't have to be in this building. We know that we can serve the Lord, worship the Lord right there in your home. And uh, that's what we're going to do today. So if you could turn to Jeremiah chapter 7. We've been walking through the book of Jeremiah, and I told you last week that we're not going to be going like verse by verse because this is a a massive book. But uh, we are going to be hitting the high moments, uh, some of the high paragraphs and and, and key texts throughout this book. And Jeremiah 7 certainly is one of those texts. I told you last week that one of the key issues with this southern kingdom was idolatry. But but there's a deeper issue that's going to run through the rest of the book along with that issue of idolatry. And we're going to see that today in the message that the Lord has for Jeremiah to speak to the southern kingdom. So let's pick it up in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 1. Again, I'm glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, I hope that you're warm and settled in, and I hope you got your Bibles or your apps open and you're ready to, to follow along. So let's pick it up in verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend or correct your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I have gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all of these abominations? Has the house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Father, we pause this morning and we say thank you for the warm homes, for the cupboards full of food, for the fresh water that comes out of our faucets, for the fact that we have our families together this morning. And Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace. For Father, you pour it out on us every single day, and we are deeply grateful for it. Father, we thank you for the blessing of technology. Father, how amazing it is that we can stand here in this place and proclaim your word while people all over the place We're able to watch and worship and learn and grow together. Father, our ancestors could have never imagined such a thing. But Lord, you have blessed us with this, and and we thank you for it. Father, God, us in your word today. Uh, There are some things that, that are going on in this southern kingdom so many years ago that are so incredibly relevant to where we are today in our walk with you. So Father, God, our thinking today, I pray for each 
home and each family represented. We know, Father, that there are families watching this morning that have had to deal with COVID this week, even still dealing with it. We know, Father, there are families tuning in that have uh, had some very difficult situations that they've had to navigate this week. Father, I know that there are families tuning in that need your wisdom, need your guidance, need your blessing. Uh, they need your provision. And Father, they need your presence and power. We ask for all of that this morning in the strong and powerful name of Christ. Amen. This opening illustration that I want to use, I, I really think is a strong, powerful one. And I've, I've used it before, but I couldn't find one better than this one. As you know, and as I've told you before, the, the time frame of World War II and leading up to World War II has always been something of an interest of mine as far as history. And especially uh, the rise of Nazism and what led up to the concentration camps and, of course, World War II. And this particular illustration and this particular story has uh, quite a bit of weight to it connected to what we're going to see this morning in the text with what was going on in the southern kingdom. In particular, as the Jewish people and as the Polish people and all the other people that the uh, Hitler regime had decided that were less desirable, as they were being placed on train cars and being uh, taken across the country to be placed in concentration camps, they were being told over and over again that they were simply going to be put to work, that they were simply going to be uh, put in these concentration camps to do work, and if they worked hard and they worked and, and were obedient and, and did all of the things that the Hitler regime told them to do, that they would be okay, that they would be able to earn their freedom. I mean, how could you get 11 million people who, quite frankly, if had have banded together, could have been a pretty strong force against the Hitler regime? How do you get them to willingly walk into a concentration camp where, unbeknownst to them, on the other side of those fences and the other side of those gates are showers where poison is going to come out and, and take their life? where people are going to be thrown alive into incinerators. How could you get that many people to go into that setting? Well, they lied to them. The Hitler regime was really good at propaganda, and it began at the very moment you were arrested or at the very moment you were placed on the train car. These people were shoved into train cars and treated like animals. And they were brought to places like Auschwitz and Dachau. And they would be brought into these concentration camps, and it especially at Auschwitz and Dachau, as you came into the concentration camp, there would be this iron gate at the entrance, and it welded into that gate or formed, the, the wrought iron formed into that gate would spell this German phrase, Arbeit macht frei. A German phrase that simply means work makes you free. So from the very moment that they are in, uh, introduced to the guards, and every moment along the way, they're being told over and over again that if you'll just do these things, you will be okay. But in fact, as you're walking through the gates of Auschwitz or Dachau, if you just look off to your left or in the distance, you'll see the smoke rising from the bodies that are being burned of the very people that have been put to death, just simply because they were deemed as less than. In Jeremiah chapter 7, we're going to go a little deeper into the problem that has infiltrated the southern kingdom. Yes, idolatry is the number one issue. They have forsaken their God. They have slowly but surely begun to give their life completely and totally to idols. But it would be one thing 
if they had just given their life completely and totally to idols and completely stopped all of the temple practices. That would be one thing. But the reality is they're doing both. The, the scary thing is, is that they've been able to kind of bring both of their beliefs together and were practicing worship of Baal while simultaneously going to the temple, offering sacrifices and going through the motions of all that the law set forth. That is why in chapter 7, God speaks to Jeremiah. Remember, he's called as a as an infant in the womb, but he's set apart to God's work at age 17. He's got 40 years of ministry ahead of him, 40 years of hardship, 40 years of difficulty, 40 years of hardship and hatred with no real fruit that he can see. In Jeremiah 7, God is going to give Jeremiah a message to proclaim. Now, chapter 7 is not the message word for word that Jeremiah is going to preach, but it is the key issues that God wants him to address. But what's interesting is, is where God calls him to go to preach this message. He tells Jeremiah to go to the temple gate. We find that in the first few verses. And he says, stand at the gate and proclaim my words. Which gate is he talking about? Well, I think the gate that he's talking about is the gate between the inner court of the temper proper and the outer court. So you have not only the outer walls of the, of the whole temple mount, and there were several gates. Once you entered that area, you kind of had a courtyard. But to get into the temple area proper, <clears throat> where the sacrifices were occurring, where the altars were, and where, of course, the very temple is located, was another series of gates. And one gate in particular had the majority of people that traveled in and out of that inner court, from the outer court to the inner court. And God has told Jeremiah to set up right there and to preach a message to the people as they are going to worship in the temple of God. You see, the reality is, is even though they have turned their backs on God and forsaken God and they have when seeking satisfaction with Baal and Ashtoreth and Molech, all the false gods of the pagan nations around them, they didn't stop going to the temple. So what they had basically done is assimilated the worship of Baal with the worship of Jehovah God. Now, if you could go back in time, if you could get on a time machine and go back in time and, and just observe the temple practices, if you could just, just kind of step into that outer court or maybe into that inner court and just be an observer, you would see an incredible amount of activity. You would see people smiling. You would see people greeting one another. You would see people friendly. You would see people who are reciting the Psalms in worship to God as they've been doing for generations. You would find that the festivals are still happening. You would find that the priesthood is still as active as it's ever been, and, and all the assistants to the priesthood are still going through the processes of, of selecting the animals and sacrificing the animals, and, and everything that the law prescribed, if you looked at the temple and you looked at the practices, you would have to come away thinking, wow, these people are really dedicated to their God. You would have to imagine that any people who would do this much activity and this many rituals, certainly they have a heart that is passionate for God. However, if you look a little closer, or maybe follow the people outside the temple proper, maybe, maybe you follow them home 
Maybe you keep lingering and watching their lives. Here's what you're going to find out. You're going to find out that those very same people who are inside that temple proper are worshiping God with psalms and praise and fellowship and prayers and sacrifices. Those very same people return to those very same homes that they live in only to find that they've got a whole other altar set up to a God who is no God at all. But not only that, you'll find out that these people's lives are far, far from God in the way they live. How could God's people, the recipients of incredible blessings, uh, a group of people who've seen the miracles of a holy God in their history, the very fact that they're in a promised land, the very fact that they have a temple, the very fact that they have a city with gates, the very fact that they have the Ark of the Covenant where the the presence of God would dwell, they have all of that. How in the world could this group of people who know and have received all the blessings of God, live such a dual lifestyle because here's what was happening. As soon as the people walked off that temple mount, it's almost as though they turned off, turned off their trust and faith in God and then began to live like any other nation around them. Well, let's take a look at Jeremiah chapter 7 and let's listen to the message that God spoke to Jeremiah to speak at the gate as people were entering to worship, and listen to the warning that God gives them. He says in verse 3, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways. In other words, you're on the wrong path. You need to correct your path. You need to get off of this path and get back on the right path. Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. He could have meant, he could have meant the place of the temple itself, but I think he probably meant the land as a whole because we know what's coming. The judgment of God is going to come, and we know that the people are going to be displaced out of their city, displaced out of the promised land, and be taken off the Babylon. So I think he's actually talking about, if you will correct your ways, get your heart right, repent, then I'm going to let you continue to stay in the land. Look at verse 4. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Now, what is going on here? Apparently, there was some phrase that the people were repeating, and that they had picked this up from who knows where, but the idea behind it is, and what's deceptive about these words is the people had gotten to a place where they believed that if they just went to the temple, and they went through the temple practices, and they, and they checked all the boxes of what it means to go to the temple and do what God had asked them to do, that this this holy God would just look another way when it came to their houses and their homes and their land and their businesses, that that God was not interested in any of that. He was only interested in what was happening at the temple. So they had this phrase, and they were saying it over and over again as though it was like some kind of good luck charm. And they would say, well, we've been to the temple of the Lord. We've been to the temple of the Lord. Today it would sound like this. Well, yeah, I've got to be right with the Lord because I've been to church. I've been to church. I've been to church. You know, most oftentimes when I, in this area, when I bring up the gospel to someone, you know, the, the answer I most often receive in folks who are maybe 40 and up is, oh yeah, I'm, I know Jesus, I go to church. It's not really the question I ask, but, but it seems like there's always this default answer of, I go to church. Well, that's great. I, I'm, I'm glad you do, but the real question is, is 
is do you love Jesus and has he changed your life from the inside out? What's happening in Jeremiah's day is they had got into this idea that if they just went to the temple and did all of these things, the rituals, that obedience was not all that important. They could, they could pick and choose obedience to some of the rituals, but an obedient life apart from the temple, apart from the priesthood, that, that really didn't matter. Where did they get this from? Where, where did this... Where did this idea come from? Well, last week I told you that the book of the law had kind of been set aside. But if you go back into 2 Kings 18, 19, 20, up to 23, into Josiah, and even beyond that, you're going to learn about some different kings. One king in particular, the southern king, was Hezekiah. He was a righteous king. He did the right things. But then he has a son. And Hezekiah dies, and his son takes over, and his son is by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the most, I would say he was probably the most, one of the evilest kings in the southern kingdom. And, and this son of Hezekiah introduces, yet again, altars to Baal and altars to all kinds of false gods, and they're setting them up, and he's leading the charge. It's almost as though the king of Israel, sorry, the king of Judah, southern kingdom, says to the people, you can have Baal and you can have Jehovah God, and here's how you do it. But Manasseh did something even more, well, insidious and evil. What he did is he introduced child sacrifice into the southern kingdom. Now, it was well known in history and still is that a lot of these pagan nations who worshipped Baal and Asherah and Molech, part of their temple practices was to take their children and burn them in the fire. Well, you've gotten to a point now in the southern kingdom that a Jewish king has introduced that to the people, God's people, and they're practicing it. So what you have then is the failure of, of Manasseh, his next son was Ammon, and then after that is Josiah. What you have is kings, leaders, who introduced this to the southern kingdom and it's accepted at face value. I had, a, I had an aunt in my family that uh, had some, some mental issues. She, she struggled with some mental illness, depression, and other things, and and oftentimes, there would be seasons of her life where she would really, really struggle uh, with the world and being around people. And I can remember uh, a period of time that she, that she struggled with it. I, I guess it was right around the time when television commercials, especially during the day, were beginning to get into this, this mode of advertising medicines. I mean, now it's just a common thing. If you're watching YouTube or if you're, on, if you're watching something on TV or streaming something, most often one of those commercials will be a medication. And what's interesting about those commercials is even today is that when you watch this commercial, I can't even pronounce the medication. I don't even know what it is. But yet, apparently, if you take this medication, you get to run on a beach. Uh, your family's perfect. You've got lots of money and nice cars, and you get to go on a cruise. And I mean, it's, it's incredible. They, they show these, these videos or these, these commercials where... They're, this person's life is struggling at the beginning of the commercial. Then you, they find the medication. Then all of a sudden, their life is perfect. Well, uh, my, my aunt apparently saw one of those some years ago and decided that she needed this medication. 
This was part of the mental illness that she struggled with, and she decided that she needed that medication, even though that, the, the, what that medication was designed to treat, she, she did not have. It just, she decided that she needed that, and, and she wouldn't let it go. Well, you know, the family, her immediate family, took her to the doctor, and, and she, she had no diagnosis that demanded that particular medication, but yet she absolutely would not let it go. So the family, her immediate family, through the instruction of a, of a doctor, said, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we provide her with the medication? In other words, what they did is they had a medication that they told her was like the generic version of the one she was, that she was determined to get, but it was nothing more than a, a sugar pill, a placebo. And, and once she was told that this was what she needed, she would take those pills and she would automatically begin to feel better because she, in her mind, that medication is what she needed. In her mind, this was the steps that she needed to take. And there was no way she was going to feel better until she did. Although the medication she was taking had zero effect whatsoever. And I don't know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if she's still not taking them today. My concern is is that there are people all across our country, maybe, maybe this describes some folks watching this morning, that the idea of going to church, the idea of, of being part of a local fellowship is nothing more than taking a sugar pill. In other words, we're looking for something. We desire something. We know that there's something about Jesus and the gospel and salvation and his word and prayer that, that's going to fill that hole. But yet we substitute the walk with Jesus and we transplant the, the following of rituals with the idea that the rituals are somehow going to fulfill us when in fact we're just as empty as we've ever been. Maybe that describes you this morning. Maybe maybe you've gone through all the rituals. You've been involved in everything. You've served in a thousand different ways. But yet, there's an emptiness there. Could it be that we have transplanted our walk with Jesus and, and replaced it with simply the rituals? Now, rituals aren't bad, but Jesus gives life to the rituals. So we start with him, and then we worship. We start with him, and then we get into God's world. We start with him, and then we pray. It's the relationship that drives the actions and that's exactly where Jeremiah is going next. Look at verse 5. He says, For if truly you amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own arm, then I will let you dwell in your place. Is, is God saying to Jeremiah that if they will do all these things, they'll be right with God? No, what he's saying is, is if they're right with God, these are the things they will do. A little background here just to remind you that the nation of Israel was set apart by God, his people set apart. And the purpose of setting them apart was that they would be light to the rest of the world. And one of the ways that they would be light to the rest of the world is the way they treated one another, the way they treated strangers, the way they treated widows and orphans, the way they, the way they loved people that, that the rest of the pagan nations like Egypt and Babylon and Assyria, these other nations that were, that were not following God who were 
bowing down to idols. You know how they treated one another? They took advantage of the widows. They would, they would kill orphans. They would take their life without even thinking about it. That, that, that the sojourner, the traveler, found no welcome at the gates of Assyria or at the gates of Egypt. But God's people, the law that they've been given, set them apart, not only by the words that they say, hey, we believe in Jehovah God, but, but the actions that they lived out every day, the simple things, that they would welcome strangers into their tents, that, that, they would, that they would make sure that the widow was taken care of, that they would make sure that the orphan was taken care of, that they were t- making sure that, that women who were vulnerable and that people who had special needs were all loved and cared for. No other nation on earth was doing what God had commanded these people to do. But here's the thing. As they began to forsake God and as they began to turn towards idols, you know what they did? They began to take advantage of widows. They began to care less about orphans. They began to take people's land and money. They began to get greedy and amending your ways. In other words, repenting. The process of repentance was not doing all these things. The process of repentance is getting right with God, and being right with God then makes you right with your neighbor. That the love of God that that just blows your mind is a love that then that comes through and out of your life, spills over in the lives of others. And and you want to know if someone who follows God just take a look at how they treat a vulnerable person. That's what Israel had had been called to do. And he says, now, if you truly mend your ways, this is what it's going to look like when you live that out. It's going to look different than the people around you. Oppression was not to be part of Israel. Oppression and taking advantage of people was not who they were called to be. So we have the reality that they have taken worship of God, turned it into a ritual, and have now brought Baal and Asherah into their life. Jeremiah is at the gate of the central area of worship for the southern kingdom, and he's saying to them, you're believing in deceptive words. Look at verse 8. He says, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. So in other words, Jeremiah says, those words I mentioned earlier, you're trusting that more than the message that I've come to give you. And he says, will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand? Listen to this. Jeremiah says that they are stealing from one another. They're breaking the eighth command. They're murdering. We already know that child sacrifice is part of the equation in the southern kingdom. They're breaking the sixth command. They're committing adultery, the seventh command. They're swearing falsely about their neighbors and their friends, breaking the ninth command. They're offering worship to Baal, the first command, and they are going after other gods, the second command. So here we have the nation of Israel who have been called to live differently than the rest of the world. And Jeremiah says, you're not living any differently than the rest of the world. As a matter of fact, you're living just like them. You're stealing and killing and lying and you're living no different. But here's here's what Jeremiah is really trying to get their attention with and I hope that it will get your attention. 
He says, will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And here it is, verse 10. And then you come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and you say, we are delivered only to go on doing all of these things, all of these abominations. Here's the, well, here's the uh, declaration that Jeremiah is making. He's saying to the people, look, you are breaking every command. You're living just like the people around. You're committing adultery. You're committing murder. And then, I mean, get this picture. It could be that they had just had a worship to the false god Baal, and in that worship, sacrificed a human being, a child, and worship the Baal and walk right out of that situation walk right into the outer court, walk right through into the inner court, and participate in worship of Jehovah God. You see, it's not only just the idolatry. The idolatry was bad enough, but what's happening now is they're assimilating the worship of God with the worship of Baal all together, and they see no problem whatsoever. Several years ago, Several years ago, not this church, but many years ago, I, I remember, and this might have been even before I was in ministry, I remember sharing the gospel, meeting someone to talk about them following Jesus. And we began to talk about that, and, and of course, pretty early on, the idea of church comes up, and it often does. I mean, especially when you live in the Bible Belt. And like so many other conversations that I've had down through the years, Almost without fail, I kind of knew where this conversation was going. And this is what the person said to me. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you're saying that if I put my faith in Jesus, that it's going to change my life. That if, I, that if I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I put my faith in him, he's going to change my life. Well, that's all great and wonderful, but what about that deacon so-and-so at so-and-so church who's a used car salesman who sold me a piece of junk deceived me, did not let his yes be yes and his no be no, took advantage of me, took advantage of my whole family, then blamed me for it, would not give my money back, would not honor the warranty, and basically hung me out to dry. Is that the kind of Christian you're talking about? Is that the kind of changed life you're talking about? You see how you live makes a difference. But see, you don't have inside of you the power, the strength to live out what Christ has called us to live out. So that's why you need him, and you need him first. You need him most, more than anything else. Notice how the nation of Israel, the southern kingdom, as they move away from God, they begin to live like the other nations. The closer they are to God, they keep him, keep God at the forefront of their life, and then the rituals and the worship flow out of that first Repentance, right with God, then the rituals flow out of that, and then obedience flows out of that. Not just obedience inside of a building, not just obedience on the Temple Mount, but obedience that spills over into your life and your family. Uh, these people, they have decided that they're going to take ritual over relationship. These people were fakes living in plain sight. And if you could go back in time, you could see it clearly. They were one thing at the Temple Mount, something totally different when they got out into their homes and their family and their businesses. I think that's a principle that transfers over pretty well to today. It is entirely possible to come get your church on on Sunday morning or watch online, check the box, 
sing the songs, say amen to the guy speaking, go even go to small group, elect, and yet by that afternoon have already turned the switch of Christianity off and turned whatever other idol, whatever other thing that you're seeking satisfaction, just turn it on and give the rest of the week to that. These people were living a complete contradiction. They were a living contradiction. Religious practice of a relationship. They have their faith misplaced. Their faith is in an institution. Their faith is in a temple mount. Their, their faith is in the rituals, not the God behind the worship, not the God behind the sacrifice, but the sacrifices themselves and the processes of checking boxes while at the same time forsaking the very God that called them from death unto life. Well, if you read on, look at verse Look at verse 11. He says, Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. He's not hiding anything from him. He sees it. He knows exactly what you're up to. Verse 12, he says, Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. What What is it about Shiloh? Well, if you go back to Joshua chapter 18. After the people come into the promised land, they've been carrying around this tabernacle for years. The very first permanent location of the tabernacle just happens to be a place called Shiloh. And they place the tabernacle there, and it stays there for a period of time. But then God allows the Philistines to come in, not only take the Ark of the Covenant, but actually steamroll Shiloh. And what God is saying here through Jeremiah, he says, if you think for a minute that I will spare the temple... Just take a look back at Shiloh and what I did there. I allowed a Gentile, ungodly nation to go in and steamroll Shiloh Shiloh and take the Ark of the Covenant. And if you think for a moment, just simply because you're showing up, that I'm somehow going to turn my judgment away, you are lying to yourself. As a matter of fact, by the time 586 B.C. gets there, the temple's going to be burnt to the ground. Every stone is going to be removed. The, t- the entire temple's going to be destroyed. It's because God cares, cares more about your heart than he does a building. He cared more about the hearts of the southern kingdom than he did a beautiful temple unlike anything the world had ever seen. Well, judgment is coming. Now look at what he says. Jump down to verse 27. There's no way that God's going to let this pass. He's just not going to let it go. Verse 27. So you speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer. You see the the draw of idolatry, even in the face of someone pronouncing the truth to you, the draw of an idol, satisfaction of the flesh, assimilating an idol with the worship of God was so alluring to the people that even when faced with judgment, they would not repent. He says, they will not listen to you. You will call to them, but they will not answer. Verse 28, and you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. Verse 29, Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken this generation of wrath. 
God says, you're going to forsake me? That I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. You're going to play around with me as though this is some kind of big game? Okay. Then I'm going to let you have what you want. And what you're going to get is more than you could have ever imagined. You can love the institution of the church to such a degree that you could use it as a covering for an idol. We can love a building more than people. We can love traditions more than the gospel. We can love a lie over the truth. We can love the practice of rituals more than Great Commission work. We can, we can love being here more than in the harvest, here being present in a building. We can love being here more, find more joy and more, more focus here than simply going out into the harvest and love it so much to a degree that we don't even go to the harvest anymore where there are people lost and dying. We can love a worship song more than the God that it points to. We can place our faith in institutions over God, our, our corruption and our oppression and our lack of love are the results. So when we place our faith in institutions over God, when we love songs about God more than the God behind the song, it's gonna show up in how we treat one another. Our love will grow cold. It's an issue of misplaced faith. Faith in things that God gave us as gifts, but they become the focus rather than the God who gave it to us. But here's the, here's the crazy thing. This is, this is the amazing thing. Did you know it's easier to practice rituals than it is to follow Jesus? It's easier. The, the people of the southern kingdom knew this. The, the kingdom people, the southern kingdom people knew that it was easier just to go to the temple, offer some animals, say some psalms, and then go right back out into the world and live however they wanted to. That's a whole lot easier than, than allowing your faith to impact every aspect of your life, in your marriage, in your job, and yes, even the way you sell and buy cars and the way you sell and buy insurance. And when you do taxes, it's a whole lot easier just to come to church, check the box, and then go live how you want to live. It's a whole lot easier just to practice some rituals once a week than to follow Jesus by taking up a cross. But here's the thing. You got to get this and then we'll close. It's only by following him. It's only by loving him. It's only by keeping him as the focus that the rituals make any sense at all. I mean, think about it. If you separate Jesus from the worship, if you separate Jesus from prayer, if you separate Jesus from reading the Bible, what do you have? Well, nothing. You got a couple of songs, some words that you read, and some words that you just said into the air. Only by following him do what we do make sense. Listen, and always, instead of always searching for the next great thing, the next great book, the next great movie, the next great church, the next great song, and never finding true contentment, maybe just maybe, maybe just maybe, we should make Jesus the main thing. And then as Jesus is the main thing in our life, worship makes sense. As Jesus becomes the central focus of our life, the songs begin to make sense. When we repent and turn from our brokenness and turn from our sin and turn from the way we're treating other people and we follow Jesus and we make him first, then and only then does reading God's word make any sense. Fellowship begins to make sense. Without Jesus, 
None of this really matters. And that's exactly the message that Jeremiah had for the southern kingdom. They had placed their trust and faith in lesser things. And as a result, their lives indicated it. Last week we said, what kind of cisterns, broken cisterns are you running to? Today we say, what kind of things, what kind of things are you putting your faith in that you know, that you know deep down has never brought any satisfaction? And they can be good things, but they're not the best thing. So just like the message of repentance that Jeremiah had for the southern kingdom is the same message we have for you this morning, is maybe we take an evaluation, we listen to the Lord, and we find out that our rituals have actually taken the place of Jesus himself. So if you will, let's join together in prayer uh, as we prepare for this next song that the worship team has for us. Father in heaven, I am as guilty as anyone as... I have elevated rituals at times in my life over following you. And Father, as I look back, there have been multiple times where I've done that. And Father, every single time, without fail, there has been a coldness and an indifference that creeps into my heart. And if I begin to look and I see that the rituals, the worship, the prayer, the studying your word, the fellowship with others, the only way they have meaning and the only way they have life is that you're first. And that all these things not only point to you, but Father, they help me to grow up in you. And Lord, I, I pray that for every person watching this morning, in the warmth of their home, they would just take a look around and see if the institution of church, the idea of church, has eclipsed our faith in you. And Father, there's no better place to look than the way we treat others. So Father, if our love and devotion to you has grown cold, then our love and devotion to others are also going to grow cold. Today is the day of repentance. Regardless, Father, that we're in our homes, regardless that we're spread out, it doesn't really matter. Because you're speaking to people right now and calling them to your side. So maybe a family together, husband, wife, children, maybe a single mom, maybe a single adult who's at home by themselves right now. Maybe, Father, as this song, as the worship team leads us in this last song to come to the table, that there is a chair. And why are we standing off at a distance? It's because the Lord is inviting us to go to a deeper place with him and replace the rituals with a right walk with him. May that happen. May that happen in the moments to come. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.